Hey, happy Friday morning, everyone. This is uh, another episode of Hollywood Breaks. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, as you can see, our panel is filled out with the wonderful Cameron Delavu. So we're happy to be with you this Friday morning. And before we get started, let's just give you guys each a chance to say hello. Go ahead, Keith. Hello, everyone. Good to be back with you yet again. Happy to be here. Cameron, come on, show us your smile. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, I've had lots of coffee, so I'm feeling excited and, and happy. Not only is it Friday, but I've had coffee. So you guys have you guys have got me in a great place this morning. And you've only had one? Because I know you no, I've had two. Oh, you've had two already. Oh, we're in yes. good then. I know. <laughs> then when, if you guys do it later in the afternoon, we could do the, the happy hour podcast, and that's a different conversation. Oh, yes. We do need to do that because you did suggest that the first time you were here, you wanted yeah. to do a happy hour. We do need to do that at some point. <laughs> Maybe we can give our viewers a note. If this if we're talking too fast, you can play this at three-quarter speed and <laughs> hear it in a normal <laughs> We get a little over-caffeinated. <laughs> Hey, before we get too, too far, Keith has uh, the Avatar poster behind them, but both of you guys have a little bit of a t a t attachment to this film, but also this is the week that uh, it became the number highest grossing film of all time again with the China release. We claimed the title from the Avengers. They did a, a re-release in China and we, uh, we uh, climbed over the hill that Avengers had set and now Avatar is back to uh, the prime position of highest box office um, film of all time. It's just like watching your kid win the, um, you know, the honor award in elementary school to see it hit the number one mark again. Yeah, kind of. It, I mean, uh, it is a little bit. I mean, it, it was definitely a, a high mark of my career at Fox, um, just being involved, being there. You know, we, it, it was the one time that for three, almost three and a half months, it was the only thing, only film I worked on was Avatar. And that never happened after that. It was literally from August, the day we launched Avatar Day, till release. It was all Avatar all the time. That's all we talked about. That was the only film we were focused on. Um, so that doesn't happen much anymore, but. <laughs> I remember it being an exciting yet terrifying time. Like it was yes. so, it was so nerve wracking. I mean, it was a movie about blue people. Well, yeah, I mean, when we first started doing the research, it was like, everyone was like, wait, it's Thundercats, Thunder Smurfs. And we're like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> Why do they have tails? Wait, my kid likes the cartoon. I mean, it was like, ugh. Oh, no. I mean, we all, we joked, we all had banker's boxes in the corner of our offices for the moment if the movie didn't work, where Rupert basically came up and took a flame flower to the third floor. <laughs> You're all fired, get out. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was exciting at the same time as it was terrifying um and i think the moment we knew it had worked was we were all sitting in um tony sella's office i think and this was like a week before the movie opened and tom rothman was in there and uh you know when tom's in the in an office before a movie opens that's not always a good thing <laughs> because he's going to push you to recut the campaign or we need a, i need a review spot or something like that. And we were about to show him a, another spot. And he looked at us and said, relax, guys, you did it. The movie's going to. Wow, that's really good. Cool. And I was like, we we're all just like, what? Can we record this? <laughs> Can we play it the next time? Like, you know, the next time we have a movie and Tom's like, this is going to work. But well, now I'm curious, like, now I'm curious, will this be the, the new strategy, the re-release strategy? 
because because right now we you know we all kind of like watching the theaters and then it lives in perpetuity on on Prime or Netflix or something like that. And now they're going to go take old stuff back into the theater, or is this just lucky because the pandemic hit? China had enough theaters open, and this is you know a great movie sitting on a shelf that was re-released. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's interesting because as a marketer, you ask yourself the question, what's the value of making the claim like the biggest box office of all time or the most watched movie of all time? And um, you can make, a I mean, Netflix makes those claims a lot because they release their, their viewership numbers and it's all intended to make people feel like you don't want to miss out on a cultural moment. So there are actually a lot of different ways to achieve that objective. And I think you know, theatrical is always exciting because it's a part of an event and an experience and a movie like Avatar is truly a movie that's, you know, meant to be seen in a theater and in big format. Um, and so that sort of fear of missing out is something that I think will always live, but it'll be interesting to see when we go back to a world where theaters are open, what people feel necessitates actually being there in person and being part of that experience. It's going to yeah. be a little bit different. You know, we had Kyle Davies on a couple of weeks ago and he talked about where else can you get a $200 million investment for 20 bucks, right? And hey, that was me. Oh, well, yeah. Oh, was that you? Credit. Yeah. Yes, it was me. Yeah, whoever. When Kyle was on, now. Keith said that, let's say that. Um, <laughs> but, the, uh, but there's some, like with Avatar specifically, like this is, like you're saying, a cultural moment, but it is something that we all know we went there and saw it together. So I, there is something kind of real. Instead of watching it, like if Star Wars was playing on as a rerun, on some Turner network. I don't know, it's just not, who cares if you're consuming it because it, consuming it is not the same thing as experiencing it. Yeah, and it's interesting. It makes me think about also um, Keith Fault in Our Stars and <laughs> the, the actual experience of being it with other people in the theater and how that mm -hmm. affects the experience and how you, yep. um, the energy and the passion, like we, <laughs> I just remember we had a whole sizzle reel of, you know, all of the young girls waiting in line, clutching their books, Fault in Our Stars books, so excited, talking to each other, just like crying, screaming when things came on like that. It was amazing, yep. that actual event experience that they were all part of together. And, you know, similar to titanic when people were seeing it 10 times in the theater because they just wanted that experience of being surrounded by people that were going through the same emotional journey like yep. that you can't you're right you can't replace that in the living room i just think that we'll all get we'll be held to a more honest standard about which movies that's going to be for um because not for everything um mm -hmm. and so you know it's a it's a high bar for going to the theater and wanting to have that experience avatar is you know, and the and the upcoming avatars, we'll see if that's going to be the same. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think it's interesting to me because that this might be a good launching point for the the next three, I believe, that are coming yeah. out. They shot all three at once and they're all in the can, apparently, and they're just cameras just working away. And the other thing interesting is that now the top two grossing movies are on owned by the same company. <laughs> so will Disney try to upsell themselves by re-releasing Avengers? <laughs> and get that and get uh take the number one spot and it's interesting you brought up fault in our stars um because next week we're going to have cammy Sargent on who was the creative lead on that campaign so um i'm sure she'll talk a little bit about the emotional journey that was because that was one I of love, her first big movies i love talking about that campaign because that for me was one of the more memorable campaigns where you're trying to do something really authentic for 
teenage girls and get it signed off on by a bunch of like old white guys and be like, <laughs> it's not for you. It's not for you. Well, it, it's it's fortunate that the movie had a great advocate in Elizabeth Gabler yes, because there really exactly. was no better advocate for that movie than Elizabeth Gabler because she yeah. believed in it and Tom and Jim trusted her instincts. Exactly. And because of that, she basically was able to shut down any sort of old white man objection to any yeah. of the materials. And, you know, having Cammy on the campaign itself also helped sort of provide yeah. that perspective that I think was needed to make it a success. I feel like we had voice of the consumer so strongly in that campaign because we had, we, we, I feel like we cut so many sizzles to share of people talking about their experiences with the book and what it meant to them. And we could show that and be like, this is what we're talking about. Like, I remember we made a bracelet for the home entertainment release and it was like, I remember, you know, someone asking like, what, is this really important? Like, do girls really care about this? And I'm like, they do. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yes. And everyone's like, oh, okay. I, I, I mean, I was lucky enough to see some of the raw footage from, I think we did a, a, a the Thursday before it released, we did like a um, Fall in Our Stars night and where they, they took cameras in to film. Yeah. And it was at, just watching the reaction from these people as the movie was playing was it was just it was it was it was emotional because it's you're just watching these people have a real affect to what they're seeing on the screen and they're experiencing it together and then to have the stars walk out and everybody goes nuts and you know uh, john green the writer was around so i mean it really was one of those experiences that really reminds you how going to the theaters can be such mm -hmm so transformative in a lot of ways. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's interesting, to, it'll be interesting to see if that reflects in the future. It's also listen, awesome listening to you guys talking about marketing in such a way that you're putting the audience first, you're the, the target first. And then so many times that we're a little bit more jaded that marketing is just pawning off some crap to people trying to make a dollar. And in reality, it doesn't really work that way, right? Like you're getting into that target and who those people are and understanding what what uh, ties them to this material that you're pushing out there. Um, and then what a challenge, then do that in a minute and a half or 30 second TV spots or on a movie poster. There's this challenge of converting what you mean in that connection to some material that people have to attach to before they even get to the film. And it's harder than you might think to make sure that the consumer is represented at the forefront all the time. And I feel like as a marketer, you're always trying to walk that line between the business objectives and what the, the customer wants. And, you know, I'm off, we've, my whole career, you know, you've been in conversations and on one side of it, it's, we've spent this much money acquiring something or this much money developing a product. It has to do X. And you're like, but it's for, you know, this niche audience that we need to speak to, they're important to us and we want to give them something, but like, it's not broad. And so that tension is always a really interesting tension to walk the line and try as a marketer to be really authentic about who the customer is um, and what they're, what they're asking for. Um, because I think there's a lot of pressure, you know, there's a lot of business objective pressure that comes into play as well. All right, let me ask you this question because the Oscars nominations were released this week and holy cow, are we seeing the most obvious trend that there ever is in that Netflix and Amazon take the first two spots of Oscar nominations. First of all, being at Prime, how does that feel? Like that's, you are the studio now. Like you're, you are at the front runner of the Oscars. That's pretty awesome. 
Um, it's pretty awesome. We're we're all really excited about it. I think um, we're also really excited about it because the things that we got nominated for are like voices that aren't necessarily traditionally heard and stories that aren't necessarily traditionally told to, to broad audiences. And so I think that for us is um, that recognition um, and the additional attention that though that that content is going to get is so exciting for us. And we really believed in those films. Um, and so it's great to see them getting sort of the, the stage that they're getting because of the noms. And obviously, like, it's the most noms we've ever had. So that's really exciting. Um, and we, I think we always believe in our content. And it's just it's really nice to get recognized in this in this forum. So who's uh when when you're kind of putting that out there of like Oscar nominations and all that kind of stuff, who's giving credit for that? Who's the like the primary studio head, general strategist or whatever that's kind of saying, yeah, I'm the one choosing the right films to get there. Because and I'll just say the reason I'm asking the question is from my point of view, it feels like Amazon captures everything. So it feels like okay, if I have the most movies, then most likely I'll get there. Um, so, um, but there is some, somebody actually curating that, that overall look, feel and content for you. Yeah. I mean, I think Prime Video has always been not the streamer with the volume play. So we've always sort of historically been, we've always told stories, even with our earliest programming, like I think about transparent and I think about sort of, you know, stories that might not have made it onto other platforms. And I think it's funny that you ask about credit. It's an interesting question. I mean, I definitely think Jen Saki, who's who's the head of studios, um, she deserves a lot of that recognition for um, building the relationships with those filmmakers, nurturing those filmmakers. And then, you know, where Prime Video comes in on my side of the equation on the marketing side is really building trust um with those filmmakers that this is the right place for them to bring their projects um and also sort of partnering to you know help them amplify their presence and help them understand how to get out to not just the u.s market but you know international markets and how to make an impact there um so we really have a good partnership um with our with our talent and our filmmakers and our eps um that i think is that i feel is very nurturing and that we we work hard to build a lot of trust yeah. with them um and so i think that you know when it comes to like we don't have a lot of discussions about credit like everyone is pretty democratic when it comes to hey this was a success great idea um because it takes like a global village to get this stuff get this stuff out and get it seen and everybody who works in this business knows um but I think it starts, it starts at studios and it starts in building the trust that people would even bring their projects to Prime to Video. To me, the, what's so impressive is that you, you are accomplishing that and have accomplished that. Clearly this helps create that legitimacy, but even just to, to um, be able to do Prime in such a way that people are recognizing it as a, a, a legitimate source for Oscar winning films and not just some sort of like secondary market. Yeah, I mean, it. yeah, it's really interesting. I think um, when you think about streaming, there is, in my mind, I think there is sort of a, 
it's a, the accessibility of streaming is a little bit of a double-edged sword. When you work, when you go to the theater and you hire the babysitter and you take the time out and you make the date and you buy the ticket, it's a high investment activity. So you're already just set up to kind of value that content in a different way. But when you stream it, it's like there, you have to sort of build like, this is special. And it's hard to do that sometimes in the living room. And so back to kind of an earlier conversation that we had about how do you build that event um, feeling around this content? How do you build that community when you're not in a theater? And that's really, you know, where social comes in and and um, talkability comes in and is so important because people want to be part of the conversation um, and they want to, they, you know, that's what makes um, streamed content special where everyone can, you know, there's discovery, which people love to be the first person like, oh my God, did you guys see this and lead the conversation? And then there are yeah. people that want to be part of the conversation too. <laughs> Cameron, I'd, I'd be curious, do you feel like, I mean, you, you brought up a great point about sort of the democratization that happens with the streamers, because having been at a studio where, you know, they, the saying is success has many masters, failures have, failures have one. And that would definitely applied to the old studio model, where when there was a success, you'd had everyone and their brother who touched it, lining up to be like, I worked on this. And, you know, it's interesting because the the culture of the streamers seems to lean, lend itself more towards you know we all out for the same goal we want to win we want to be successful so when a filmmaker comes to you is there a sense that they they they're pushing for a traditional theatrical campaign i be it like trailers tv spots you know billboards all that stuff or is it more like a recognition of you're going to just let me run with my content and let me do what I want. And then you'll support it when the time comes. Yeah. I mean, do you feel like there's a, a push and pull between the expectation of what the filmmaker wants when they show up versus how the model you guys have set up, which is more democratized, which is great, I think, but there's an expectation I think a lot of filmmakers have. And it'd be, yeah. how do you guys take on, take on that challenge? I love, so I love that question because we talk about it a lot. Um, and we talk about it a lot in terms of, evolving what it means to be a home for talent so evolving from the very baseline of bring your project here and we'll let you do whatever you want which is really like anyone could do that with enough mm -hmm. money right yeah. um that's not but the the value that i think that we want to get to offering is to really is to partner and to say like bring us your best ideas and we will partner with you and and help you make those ideas better um and and broader and more impactful and reach more audiences and i think like that's the beauty of amazon because we're not just saying like we can put up you know billboards again it's like low barrier of entry as long as you have the money right yeah. like we can do all of the media things but what's super interesting i think is that we offer the ability to immerse the consumer across all our different platforms in a way no one else can so if you're coming and you're like I'm so passionate about my idea. Great. Well, you can, you know, we'll release it and we'll support it. But let's also talk about how what you want to do on Audible. Let's talk about what you want to do with Amazon Music. Let's talk about what you want to do across all of the other platforms in the business where you're going to get exposure, but also get to do really interesting, fun, new stuff. And the thing about Amazon that's really great is that there is truly a culture of innovation. So we're willing to learn and we're all in this space like 
we haven't been a studio for a hundred years. So we learn on every release mm -hmm. and everyone is in that space. Like we're going to learn and we're going to, we're going to fail on some things and we're not going to do well on some things and we won't repeat some things again, but we learn every time and we have a fast fat feedback loop. So it's, that's, you know, that's kind of what is exciting, I think, and what the, the higher level home for talent means to us. Yeah. It's interesting because I've talked a little bit about this the last couple of weeks about Tom Rothman did a podcast not too long ago. And his big point was uh, again, because obviously the, the host, you know, being a well-formed host pressured him on sort of, well, how are you guys going to deal with all the competition coming from the streamers? And his big thing was, well, the talent really wants to come to us because we're a cultural, the, the only way to really have a cult, because talent wants to have a cultural impact. So they come to us because they want their movie in theaters for a cultural impact. And it's interesting, you kind of address that by saying, well, yeah, well, you have one platform, you throw it up on the theaters. We have myriad of, of platforms that allow people to tell the story in different ways, be it through Audible, or through Amazon Music. Yeah. And the other thing is, it's, it's interesting because he, he talked a lot about like, you know, people want to be in the theater, people want to do this. And he was very convinced that everything's going to go back to normal. You know, as long as we keep the quality up, you know, he wants, he's you know, claiming that, you know, if we keep the quality up, people will come back to the theater. And my position always has been throughout most of this is like, I think it's going to be a challenge for the theaters to bring people back if they don't change the overall experience. And I think you guys have sort of taken a step in the right direction by offering talent sort of the the outlet to tell a more well-rounded story across many platforms so yeah i mean i think there's two things in there i think one we all have to recognize that we can create a cultural event outside of being released in the theater mm -hmm. but i also i want to be clear like i think the theater is part of the new model going forward i think people will always want to go to the theater they're just going to want to go to the theater for some things they don't need yeah. to go to the theater for everything and we know this we've been doing yeah. we did research on this at fox for years it was yeah. like we all know this as consumers of entertainment, right? There's some stuff that you're like, I, I mean, in the old days, you'd be like, I will wait for that to come out on video. I do not need to like hustle and go see that, right? Right, right. And then it was the Netflix years where you're like, I'll just put it in my queue, right? And then and wait so, till it pops up and then it'll exactly. they'll send me the and disc. They'll, they'll mail me a disc and it'll just show up. <laughs> Um, but that's so we all we all um, consume entertainment across all these different behaviors, right? There right. is no like, I only go to the theater consumer and especially the younger consumers who are mobile forward and, you know, really um, are discerning when it comes to how they're spending their entertainment dollars and they're able to do, you know, customers are smart and they do the value calculation in their heads every time. They do it for streaming. What am I getting? You know, where do I want to watch the show? What service is it on? How long do I need to watch it? I'm going to cancel. I'm going to do a free trial over here. I'm going to watch it over here. So they, they're savvy, right? They know where to go. Um, and, and honestly, we can't forget about user generated content where like there is a very high bar for like, that's good enough for the 20 minutes that I have to fill right now, like good enough, right? We've all, all gone right. down the rabbit hole on, you know, all of the social platforms. So we just have to look at the universe of content in a really different way and think about like, yes, okay, what are the things people are gonna see in theaters? What are the things that, you know, they can still experience in an amazing way at home in their, you know, living room setups? What are the things they're gonna watch on mobile? And I think, you know, this is where the whole, I think the short form content conversation is still really interesting. And, you know, in the, in the wake of Quibi, like, were they too early? Was it a bad idea? You know, you could argue um, 
a couple of different ways for that. But when I look into these new markets and I look at how and where consumers are watching content, it's not it's not a solely theatrical business at all. Yep. I, I mean, I, I agree with you. I, I think there's always going to be I, the movie that just popped in my head when you're talking about theaters is like Godzilla versus Kong. That's the kind of movie that I'm like, I got to see that in the theater. Like, there's just no point. And then Tim and I have been going back and forth about Top Gun Maverick. That's going to be something we're going to want to see in the theater. Don't want to see that at home. It's just not the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. It's definitely going to be a, a sense that theaters are still going to be there. But I've seen some research recently where it seems like going back to Warner Media, they kind of broke the mold a little bit by doing this sort of day and date, sort of setting that expectation that, well, I can watch it at home or I can go see it in the theater on the same at the same time. Is that something that Amazon is sort of looking at it as the future? Or do you still think it's like it's on a movie by movie basis? Or is it going to be like, you know, we're going to release it in the theater and on the platform? Because you guys seem to be the type of your day and date. That seems to be your sort of strategy right now. Or is that going to shift back to like two weeks in the theater and then on the platform or do you see any shift happening in your business with regards to that look i think everybody is looking at different windowing models and has been since the beginning of time um i myself spent <laughs> I feel like we're having years. the same conversation from five years I ago know. <laughs> like if you invite me back in 10 years we're gonna be talking about windowing yeah um but i you know i think um so we obviously you know COVID aside pre-covid we were doing some theatrical releases um you know i think it to some extent it does depend on the the content and what mm -hmm. it is um and i think you know there'll be a lot of eyes on warner to see what that does but where i think it's really interesting is just for so long it was um the customer in that discussion was the theater chain owner and not mm. the end customer yep. and so at least now i think the end customer is getting represented in the discussion and we're not just being reactionary to like the theater owner and you know being punished because you're releasing so that's the more interesting discussion and builds that i on the windowing conversation that i think is happening now and we'll see we'll see what consumers decide to do right like i and, and you bring up top gun maverick which i think is super interesting and here's why it's like well consumers want to see that in the theater because it's a big action picture or will they want to see it in the theater because it's nostalgic Yes. And they remember when they saw Top Gun in the theater and yeah, what yes. kind of, I do, I remember seeing that. That was me, was yeah. Very young, obviously. It's nostalgia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very, very young. Very young, very young. But like the feeling of just like pride and excitement and being surrounded by people, like maybe that's what'll drive it. So we're all going to learn from yeah, that. Yeah, yeah it's interesting because I, I think of the conversation I feel like we we were having even when you and i were both at fox was like you had all these certain like mobile was sort of giving the customers content where they want it when they want it and how they want it and the theater model was still saying no no no, no. you're going to see it here at this time at this date and i don't care what you want and it's very interesting you're right because the conversation is completely more or less flipped on its head i think it was headed in that direction anyway but the studios were very resistant as were the exhibitors i mean sort of the exhibitors in terms of well, no, we're not going to worry about what the consumers want. But now it's like, well, now we have to worry about what the consumers want, especially if we want to get them back into the theaters and paying all absorbing them out for their for their, you know, milk duds. So I think yeah, it, it's, you're absolutely right. I think it, it's the evolution over the course of the last five years. 
I would also say this, like coming to America too, like or coming to America, I don't know if I would have gone to the theater to see that. And if it wasn't for Prime releasing it, I don't think it would have been made. It, it doesn't really fit the model of like, oh, a, a sequel at that form, but it fits the model of, you know, consuming it on Prime in the evening, you know, watching something and re rehashing those old jokes and kind of knowing those old characters. So there is kind of that interesting benefit of, what I want with the nostalgia of, of a Top Gun or a Star Wars or whatever. I want to be in the theater to relive something. And then there's things like, I don't, I don't mind watching the old jokes play themselves out again. Um, I'll say yeah, this. Yeah, and there'll be, multiple, there'll be multiple audiences for those nostalgia pieces, right? I mean, we yeah. had certainly had a number, we had many new customers that came to the platform who weren't nostalgic about it because they were too young and, and global customers, right? Who didn't get exposed to it first time around. And so this was a fresh um, experience with the with the IP. And so I think that's when I it's like, if you really leave it to the consumer, and and you know, you don't let those um, business discussions, you know, push you one way or the other, you can still have a successful result. It's scarier and riskier, because, um, you know, human behavior is harder to predict. Um, when you don't, you know, you haven't, you haven't worked the model before um but it's also it's so exciting i mean it's so exciting to see and we were able to create a cultural moment you know we were able to we did all the traditional things but we also did you know activations and stunts and you know exciting stuff and brought you know the talent and the filmmakers in and created conversation and and you can do that outside of the of a theatrical release. And so that's exciting. Every time that we see a story like that, that's exciting for that's us. That's pretty cool. I, be, before we wrap up though, I have to say, because in kind of playing off the idea of different content on different platforms, the NFL on Prime, I mean, I gotta say like, that's a big, bold move to go, now we're not even talking about just the, the consuming of something like film, but now we're watching live sporting events on Prime. Uh, how exciting is that and and how amazing is that as like expanding the, the yeah. time strategy in that way yeah i mean it's sport is the most exciting thing for us i think when we think about i mean people are already doing that right because they have cable subscriptions and they hate their cable it's like love hate right they hate their cable <laughs> subscription Very um, much so. <laughs> and so when you talk to them about you know what the one giving them the power to assemble you know their own their own bundles um, and offer them really complete subscriptions. So any, you know, being able to say like, whatever you want to watch, that entertainment is here as part of your subscription, super powerful. And it's really been in the US, I think when we look across, you know, competitive offerings, it's really been the thing that we have been missing um, in a robust way. We've had it in the EU, we've had it in some other countries, we've been able to offer, um, English Premier League and, you know, we've had a more robust offering, but this is really exciting because I think instead of talking about streaming services is like focusing on the exceptions of things you don't get, now it's much more inclusive. You know, now you're gonna break those barriers of like, oh, I, you know, I don't need to really understand what exactly they offer because I'm confident they offer everything. And if I sit down and I turn it on and I start at Prime Video, that I'm gonna see everything that I want to see. I'll find anything I want to watch. So that's where we want to get to, and this helps us get there. Yeah, five years ago, I was talking to an NBCU NBCU uh, executive about really like the future of television. 
And they were adamant that the future of television is basically they're going to cover the live events and the OTT platforms are going to cover kind of the long form events. And you guys are truly storming those gates right now because it's now this idea of like, no, you don't even need the live events are going to happen on, on Prime as well as as uh, on a cable platform. I have a rental house and the manager was telling me like, you should ditch your cable and just get Hulu. Everyone is basically just using Hulu for, for live, live videos and film and live television anyway. Like it is, the model really is changing to like our device driven world. And I, I love that idea of like my mobile phone, my laptop or my television set are all kind of the way I'm consuming and skipping the idea that I have to kind of be a, a secondary to a feed regardless of if I want to watch or not. That's my only choices from the cable networks. Yeah, and no one wants to pay for stuff that they don't need and want, right? So that's the key. It's like, how do you give people the most choice and not make them pay for things that aren't of value to them? And that's what offering value is. And so, you know, we are constantly looking at that. And we really believe that we in that prime subscription offers such insanely huge value because you know outside of enter you know streaming we've got all these other ways to indulge your appetite for entertainment um and so we just need to you know i think our challenge is how do we talk about that in a way that cuts through and is meaningful and makes sense and it's easier to do when you're talking about um, really big IP because people are like, yes, I want to get immersed in that world and I want to read the book and buy the t-shirt and listen to the podcast and, you know, I want to do it all. And that's much more easy for consumers to understand. And so I think once we get there, that will be really the springboard for us to be able to kind of talk across and you all get free shipping. offerings. When it comes down, please. <laughs> yes, don't forget right. two-day free shipping. Exactly, exactly. I know without, I was thinking to myself, like, how different would all of this quarantine have been without, you know, like Prime saved my life. I mean, it came and brought me everything I needed um, yep. for a year. So I am like, it's an emotional product for me. <laughs> You're emotionally invested at this point. I am. I am. <laughs> all right, Cameron, thank you so much for joining us today. It's such a pleasure to see you again and have you put part of the conversation. You, uh, you brightened our days, and I swear Keith's just excited to have his friends join us on a weekly basis. So thanks for being part of the crew. Anytime. It's a pleasure, you guys. Thank you for having me. Um, I just, uh, in wrapping it up, I want to also say thanks to Lydia, who's helping us behind the scenes, the Go Social team, and all the work that they do to kind of keep you informed of what's going on. If you love this show, please subscribe. We'd love to hear you. And also join us tomorrow morning, Saturday mornings, um, 8.30 Pacific time. We're doing Hollywood breakfast on Clubhouse. Um, we'd love to have you be part of that conversation, ask us questions, hear the information going on. I, they're lively conversations and honestly, they people just show up and, and start talking about the insiders uh, track. So um, love to have you be part of that. Uh, feel free to join us. And uh, until then, we'll see you next week on Hollywood Breaks. Thanks, Keith. Thanks, Cameron. Yeah, and I just want to do a real quick plug. If you uh, do like what you hear, Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating. If you don't, please decline from rating us. <laughs> and uh, just remember next week, we got Cami Sargent coming. And as I mentioned earlier, she was the creative lead on Fault in Our Stars. So we'll be able to dive a little bit more into the creative strategy behind that wonderful campaign. So we'll see you all next week. And thanks to Cameron for coming and uh, having fun with us. <laughs>